This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to Waterfall Wednesday of the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. It's Nick Johnson and uh, Dale's been replaced now, almost permanently, by Ben Webster. How's it going, Ben? Going great, man. Good to be here. Today is the, uh, it's Sunday, it's Super Bowl Sunday, but it's also the last day of dark goose season. How would you say your dark goose season went this year? Did you learn anything new or uh, try any different tactics that seemed to kind of like help? Because you you shoot a lot of different species and subspecies of geese, both cackling geese, the mid-continent cackling geese, then you get like every size of Canada goose that like from medium to large that's here. Um, I don't know. And specs. And specs and snows. Um, no, I wouldn't say any new tactics. It was a very average February dark goose season for us. And that is not consistent with anything I've ever had before. Usually my February dark goose season is lights out. Yeah, and this year that's so fucking warm out. Yeah, so we had a extreme, extreme freeze you know, right at the end of January, um, you know, just like everybody else, we just smashed the ducks. And honestly, we smashed the geese too. Right. Um, and then right about the end of the duck season, we got this crazy warm up. I mean, we went from minus three or four to almost 70 degrees within a matter of five days. Mm -hmm. And it was 65, 70 degrees for five days straight. And we just emptied out. Dude, we emptied out good. Which... I've never really seen seen it that bad before. 
Um, and not that we still were killing birds because we were. We were averaging anywhere from 25 to 30 geese a hunt. Um, and we did have some bad hunts, too. I mean, that... Not you know, that bad, though. What was the lowest one? Seven? One. Oh, yeah, Jack. Took we a had, one piece this morning. Yeah, we had the one piece this morning, which is shocking because we went into 5,000 bird feed. But it's just been crazy, crazy weather. You know, this morning we woke up to a quarter inch of snow, which is extremely difficult to hide in. And that pay, played a big part, big factor. But also we were hunting geese. We didn't want to hunt that pocket of geese. That's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that geese is, that pocket, that geese, that pocket is heavily, heavily pressured. So that wasn't really in our favor. That doesn't happen very often either. But um, overall, it was just, you know, to be honest with you, we got skipped with the reverse migration. Tons of birds went past us. I mean, there's snow geese and dark geese all the way up in South Dakota already, yeah. which is unheard of. Um, and for a while, I honestly was very concerned about my small spring snow goose operation that I run. Uh, we, you know, this year we're only running, you know, six to nine days, something like that. Usually I run three weeks, and I am so thankful I'm not running three weeks. If there was any, if there was any season to kind of have a shorter one, this was it. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, Well, Ben, dude, on the Nietzsche Bros podcast, which you are of a host, the host of, and is available on Patreon, the Nietzsche Bros podcast. We were uh, last week. We were kind of discussing what's the most difficult goose to hunt and why. And, uh, what was your, I want to hear, I kind of want to revisit this cause I came up with a couple arguments like, uh, while I was, um, pounding coffee on the, my way to help set up a hunt yesterday about what makes honkers difficult to hunt. Cause I, and it's gotta be a little bit more in depth and honkers are stupid, <laughs> <laughs> which honkers can be very stupid, but any goose well, can be every, on the right day. Yeah. Every bird can be extremely stupid. I just think honkers are more dumb than, than the rest of them because if you can get them to fly when they're supposed to fly, usually they're going to show up most of the time for us. Now I know the guys that hunt honkers on a, you know, regular schedule like yourself probably don't agree with me, but I think the hardest thing about honkers is number one, that was a burp. We're drinking beer. I apologize. Um, number one is getting them, you know, figuring Air, out airborne. that schedule. Yeah. Right. And that's why I would never be a honker hunter. I do not want to sit in the field all day long to shoot them at 430. Yeah. Cause because you have to be there early because they might go right. Early. And and there's days where you know they're gonna fly in the afternoon, but you have like customers in from that drove ten hours, yeah. and you can't be like, all right, guys, meet us in the field at two o'clock. I mean, you can, but they're gonna be like, well, we we came here to hunt. Yeah, you know, I don't care if the birds fly or not. So that does make for some very long days in the field. That's something that uh, like Phil Schmidt has told me. I have got to stop doing is stop catering to guys that are here to hunt and say hey this is the way it is we're we're meet me at two o'clock yeah um you're not the guide i am this is how it works i know today we're going hunting on my terms because that's the smart way to do it yeah i know but it can bite you in the ass too it can you can do there's been many times where i'm like well they said it's gonna be cold and clear looks like you know not not guiding but fun hunting yep and I'll be like, you know, it's a Saturday. I got a spot lined up for Saturday. It's supposed to be uh, sunny in the morning. Clouds rolling in around 1. So I'll get out there around 10. And I uh, I wake up fucking right around sunrise or something like that. Pure overcast. And then it's just a scramble like, oh, God, we got to get to the field now. And uh, 
it just doesn't work out. But um, what would you say like makes small Canada slash cackling geese slash specs? Uh, what what's the main challenge with hunting those? A lot of the audience I have like up in uh, the the northern uh, part of the United States. Um, they're honker they, hunters. They're honker hunters. They don't get an opportunity to hunt specks in Canada's and or small Canada slash cackling. And they're gonna hate me because I, you know, say honkers are dumb. Yeah, because it's like, what am I dumb for hunting them? Yes. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, there's pros and cons to each, right? The 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 pros of hunting lessers is they're going to fly. Yeah, that, I was almost say that. like clockwork. They're gonna fly every morning and every afternoon. If there's moisture or it's cloudy or it's extremely windy and cloudy, they will sit all day long, which can screw you if you want to go afternoon hunt. Um, oh, you, you mean know like they will sit after their morning flight? They'll just sit all day. Right. If yeah. there's any kind of precipitation in the field, they'll sit all day. Yeah. Which yes. I know honkers do that too. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, but the, the one quirky thing about lessers is if it is very cold, they won't fly in the morning. If, if, if it's very cold and there's no wind. They are more yeah. concerned about water than honkers are. And, and one thing I've noticed when it comes to the smaller geese, like greater white fronts, um, small Canadas and cackling geese, they are wind sensitive. Like um, oh, sure. wind will change their feeding habits, which is a super interesting thing that I learned from you and snow geese too. Um, the wind changes their feeding habits. With giant Canadas, the wind does not seem to have nearly that effect on their feeding habits. No. It's almost like wind is not... Of an effect on their feeding habit at all, but the smaller geese all seem to be affected by wind. So, um, more wind, more feeding, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, that's they'd, really... ra- they'd rather hang out in the field on solid ground than sleep, than go buck the water. Right. I wonder why that is with honkers. There was a day we hunted. God, it was a Thursday all day, and it was um, like thirty-five mile an hour winds. And I was like, well, if there's any day to learn about honker behavior during wind, it's going to be today. Guess what? You didn't learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't learn. No, like uh, they just didn't come out to feed any earlier than they would have. It was a sunset feed. I think we shot 14 of our 18 bird limit that day. And the only reason we didn't shoot the remaining four was because of the the time clock buzzer got us because it came out so close to sunset. Yeah, that's very interesting because even ducks will come out earlier. Yeah, ducks will too. Ducks will come out, and I, I just don't think they like bucking the water. I think you're right They're too. Smaller species that that has to be part of it. I I, I think so. And I still think it's just like oh geez, let's just go to the field. You know, we can hang out on dry ground. Have you seen lessers? And cackling geese and snow geese, well, I've seen snow geese do this. Have you seen specks and darks, small darks, sit in the fields all day simply for the reason of wind? Yes. Yeah, I've seen snow geese do that. Yep. If it's so, I mean, it's got to be like a like 30 plus mile an hour. But like even if it's sunny out, if it's that windy, they won't go back to water. Agreed. Okay. So, so here, one of the main reasons when... You asked, what is the hardest species of goose to hunt? You know, lessers or honkers. And why I said, I say lessers all day long. It's even though there's some, you know, pros and cons like we talked about. But the main thing is, think about the amount of equipment difference there is. Mm -hmm. Honker hunting, you need what? 
three to ten dozen yeah. decoys. Yeah, well, if you ask a lot of people in Minnesota, you need uh, a, like 500 full bodies, um, 50 dozen silos, and another 500 sleeper shells, but it's a little overkill. We've we've got some uh, some size queens up in our in my part of the in, of the world for honkers. Why? Uh, I think it falls under the category of fun. It's fun for people to set that many decoys. Uh, and it looks cool. It looks cool. Yeah, it looks cool. So, so it's just like you know, it's a size queen. The carvings of the geese, and it's one hundred percent for the consumer. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Cool. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, you think about cackler hunting, lesser goose hunting, whatever you want to call it, lesser's cacklers, blah, blah, blah. There's an argument there. We had that argument. Nah, nah, like there ain't no argument. Four times in the bird shack this year. Um, I mean, think about it. You, you go set up in the middle, you got to set 100, 150 dozen decoys. Yeah. It's a lot. You set from the edge, you're setting anywhere from 30 to 50 dozen decoys. Not that we don't have a little tricks up our sleeve that i'm not going to talk about um for late season lessers but um what a game changer and just the amount of money the the money cost the, of entry yeah the cost of entry so i mean think about it you you're running three to five dozen daves giants you can have a 12 foot trailer and still have plenty of room for everything yeah another we're pulling 18 footers another thing know. we have kind of in the more northern latitude states too that that it's here, but it's not as accessible. Is a guy can go out like in the, our like our September goose season and with like eighteen floaters on a public lake. And if it's a good migrator day, you got a you got a big river flute, eighteen floaters out. And you're standing in some cattails. There's a good opportunity that you can kill some birds that day, and that just that is not happening with small Canada cackling goose hunting. Really, that that option is not there. Even when we were hunting Saskatchewan, and we would hunt, we'd hunt all feeds, but every day for the first fifteen days of September in Saskatchewan is a migrator day. You still you have better chances of pulling down migrator giants than you do migrator cackling and lessers. One hundred percent. Yeah, you're not to say that some days you're just you're hunting migrating giants and they are not fucking cooperating. But I mean, if I'm dealing with a migrator day, I'm I'd prefer to be dealing with giants instead of cackling geese. Yeah, so it goes back to my theory: the honkers are dumb. The honkers are dumb. <laughs> They're their retarded brother wearing their helmet around while the lessers, you know, are okay. But know, I, doctors I, and engineers. I right? brought up these points too, like um, that some some things that will trick a northern latitude honker hunting into going out and getting a fucking zero or getting a bad hunt number one like honkers are more married to the center of fields like the it seems to be you have to kind of be out in the center of fields which is going to prove that's going to present some hide issues if you can't get a good hide on some honkers and another thing that you don't have that you weren't aware of this point is we have the, those fucking plowed fields and you can have a fantastic feed in a plowed field for honkers, and them fuckers are going to trick you into going out there and getting zeroed. They're like, come on out, buddy. Come hunt us tomorrow. Just There's do- like 500 of us. Of course it'll be a good hunt. Just do better. There's no way to do better in a plowed field. You can do okay in a plowed field. I have an field. idea. You can do it. Dark brown ghillie blankets. Dude, ghillie blankets. Put some giants around you, like three or four giants. 
Solo hunt, smash. If you solo hunt, or if you go out with a crew of four or less, and you, you really focus on the hide, and you get the decoys, at least in the driest, most visible part of the field, Dude, you have a chance. I always, we, it's not like I never hunted a plowed field. It's not like I've never done good in a plowed field. But the odds are stacked against you. What about the giant uh, blind trailers? Just pull it on the edge. The problem with like pulling, like uh, trying to do an edge hide on a plowed field is number one, your they decoys, wanna they want to be in the middle. And your decoys are vis in invisible. invisible. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> So like put a couple snow goose decoys out there. It's you know? it, they'll still just blow past you. I have I do actually run some snow goose decoys once in a while, like one or two. If it's a low visibility field, I'll put like my snow goose decoys right kind of where I want the geese to land. Like I'm talking like two of them. That's a little trick I've used over the years on like low visibility fields. But here's the yeah, best a thing to do. Pair. A breeding pair. Yeah. Yeah. Here's I the best a thing for you. Okay. I just interrupted you, but I had this thought. You know, people use the old coyote decoy trick. Uh-huh. How come we don't have bald eagles? What do you mean? Bald eagle decoys. For? Keeping birds, like, from that side of a field. Okay, so what you mean is, like, to keep birds away from somewhere where they want to feed, like, in the center of the field? Yeah, you're on the plowed field. You could put, like, something three out there. bald eagle decoys I've done that half of the field and get them to come to your half. I've, they still will land 100 yards away because they're fucking stupid. Excuse my language. But that's what they do. That's why I hate them. I hate hunting hawkers. I call Maybe it, they are smarter than I think. Maybe I need to change my, I change call that, my answer. I call that flagging fields. Yeah. So like uh, flagging a field is like uh, creating some, a reason why they why birds wouldn't want to land there. One time, me and Joe Heinz were in North Dakota, and uh, we were gonna hunt an edge because that was the only. It was a bean field, so we had good decoy visibility. But these birds really wanted the middle of it. We were staying at this Airbnb. We took all the blankets and comforters out of the Airbnb. <laughs> Brought him hunting with us that morning. We oh, and we spread them out in the middle of the fields, like where they wanted to land, like these blue comforters and blankets and shit. And uh, <laughs> it's, I'm looking up coyote decoys right now. It seemed to have worked. It seemed to have worked. We flagged the field. Another thing too. I, another uh, good flagging tip is um, you buy those. Uh, what are those plastic poles you can get at Home Depot or whatever? They're like maybe four feet long. Plastic poles. Yeah, just they're like, I don't know, half PVC? inch. PVC? Yeah, nah, not PVC. Just they're the solid, like, green ones. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, they're they're for marking like, snow edges. Snow edges. Edges or, of driveways for plowing snow. Or gardens or whatever. Yeah. You just get these poles, and then um, you buy those uh, uh, turkey roasting aluminum pans down at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Like those five packs of uh, whatever, you know, the shit that your wife's got the cinnamon buns in right now. What are the, the, the aluminum foil... Tin pans. Tin pans, exactly <laughs> right. And they would, uh, you tie those like on a two foot string, onto one of those poles. You sink the pole into the ground, and like those pans will wave in the wind. Mm, like a pie plate or something. Yeah, like a pie plate or something like that. And you can flag fields that way to get birds to not land in that area of the field. Uh, you know what? You can do that too. Like if uh, if your area has a refuge around it, and uh, like. There's some areas that have refuge fields, and you cannot go hunt them. It's illegal to hunt in the refuge. Well, it ain't illegal to fucking flag the fields and uh, try to keep the birds out of them to encourage them to go to... Is that not wildlife harassment? 
Mm. Well, is it illegal for a farmer to try to keep geese out of his field to prevent them from causing damage? Mm. Mm. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Don't do, you might uh, yeah. want to che- you might want to check with your local law DNR, enforcement agency yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> before you take any advice from this podcast from the beer drinking podcast the beer drinking podcast full scale beer drinking waterfowl Wednesday let's talk about baiting what do you want to talk about pigeon hunting baiting that's legal yeah I know do you think it works yeah <laughs> I don't know why not I've never I've never hunted over bait for pigeons so. Here's how I know it works. You know the outdoor store here in town next to the gas station that has all the pigeons. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard this story that the owner, who I do know, decided he started with pigeons because they were crapping all over the sidewalk in front of the store, right? This was back before a lot of guys were hunting them, and there was like probably a thousand on top of that. Uh, gas station. They're uh, having to power wash the sidewalks like once a week. God. And uh, he took, I don't know if it was crack corn or Milo or what, but he just took took it from the back door of the outdoor store, which is, I don't know if it's in city limits or not, so hopefully he doesn't get in trouble for this, but he just poured it in a straight line, like 10 yards of just feed. And he would wait until the pigeons would land on it and then he would, it was far enough away that he could open the door and they wouldn't fly away, but they were all lined up. <laughs> no right? way. Yeah, dude. Think about it. And it's he, perfect. So he would just start bucking with a, a shoddy? Yeah. It's a good idea. This was before, like, now there's an RV park behind there and stuff. Like, yeah, that was yeah. just a field. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't really matter, but I don't think he put a big enough dent in them, but it was probably really fun. Yeah, just like... Think about it. All right, just crack that door open, light your cigarette for lunch break. Wham, 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 wham! Shoot a bunch yep. of pigeons. Like, yep. Cool, just leave them lay. Sign me up. <laughs> oh, shit. What else you want to talk about? Hmm. I don't know. Snow geese, snow, spring snows is coming up. Are a you lot s- of guys are doing it right now. I haven't seen huge numbers. Me neither. And you were with me. We saw the juvie population. If there was any ever a year where I thought that you were going to see massive Arkansas piles starting February 1, it was and, this year? And I, I called it. I said, I told everybody in se- September when they started showing up, and even the lessers, I was like, this is going to be one of those years Well, if where if you can consistently stay on geese, whether they be lessers, specks, snows, you will be an American hero. Right. You will just pound them. Mm-hmm. And we did. I know, you know, this last week and a half was not great. Clients are still happy. Clients still rebooked. Obviously, the weather was not in our favor. But for overall, starting from November all the way through February 11th, we pounded them. Right. What shocks me is I was thoroughly expecting to see some three, four, five hundred, maybe even a th- some thousand bird haunts. I wouldn't have. I agree. I agree. And I was like, the biggest one I know of is like two thirty seven right now. Is that the ones who won the snow goose? The only World one over two hundred that I've heard of. Yeah, and I've seen some. Okay, the last couple of days there has been some good hunts out of the migrator spreads. 
Um, yeah, but not not hundreds, not not multi hundreds. No, like uh, it's it's uh, it's kind of shocking. Like I, there is a lot of juvie snow geese out there right now, and they are not in the places where they need to be, or they are just moving around. Why do you think like we haven't seen? The piles that we kind of both were expecting to see um because of the crazy polar vortex that came through whatever you want to call it front and then the extreme warm-up and even up north they've got no ice they've got no snow mm-hmm. and i think a lot of them birds skipped right past arkansas I mean, they're in, maybe they never even made it there. In some cases, they're in South Dakota, they're in Iowa, they're in Northern Missouri. I mean, you look at Squall; it's already got seven hundred fifty thousand geese on it. And that was like yesterday or the day before. They might be up to a million or so now. Yeah, which is just crazy. I mean, all the really good Arkansas snow goose hunters. You know, we're not going to name names, but they panicked just as much as I panicked about my spring spring snow goose season. And instead of running in southern Arkansas for the first week or two, they immediately moved to northern Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even southeast Missouri, which I think, yeah. I think Missouri didn't open up until a couple days ago. Yeah. Which is another thing. Like, I was looking at Nebraska. It's because of their dark goose season. That's why. In Missouri? Same, same here in Kansas. Yeah, you're right. You're they right. They shoot honkers in Missouri, I think, until the 11th. Ah, that's why. Yeah. But no, their conservation season has started for spring snows. It started a few days ago, did it not? I don't know. I don't know either. We're talking out of our ass at this yeah, point. I'm, I'm ta- No, I'm not we. I'm Missouri one time. I'm talking out of my ass on this one. Yeah. Hmm. Let's talk out of our ass and drink more beer. <laughs> Now let's drink more beer. <laughs> Sorry, Dale. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. So, uh, will you do any spring pigeon hunting? A little bit. That's one of those things you want to be kind of gentle about. Uh, Explain why to your audience. Because there is a possibility you can overshoot pigeons. And you can hurt your... The the best time to hunt pigeons is July and August. After the hatch and the new hatchlings are flying. Yeah, the new hatch... It might even be two hatches that they get off. Um, like, they might, there might be adults that have a hatch, like, you know, in early or late winter, early spring, and then have another hatch after that that are, that are flying by late summer. So whatever I can do to kind of prevent... A shitty July and August, like I don't want to over harvest the pigeon population to to hurt my July and August because July and August is our bread making. That well, that's should a, go somewhere else and hurt their population. That's true, but uh, there are gonna. Uh, I do have a a spot that I was gonna start trying to sell tomorrow for a hunt next Saturday, but it's a spot that can sustain multiple shoots per year. I'm not the only one who hunts it. Um, it gets hunted, and the pigeons continue coming back. It's pro- you should lease it. I need to lease it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's a spot that um, yeah, can sustain the hunts, and it's proved proven itself to be able to sustain the hunts. So, I don't go around too much and try to beat on them 
I don't try to beat on them to death in the spring and early summer. I really would like those populations to build up so we can have a fantastic July and August, which is our, you know, the time when they really are making themselves available to get killed. Are you going to try and bait them? I might try to bait them someday. Uh, that, that, it's an interesting idea, especially if I have pigeons in an area. Like, there are farms you find where there's pigeons there, and it's like, what am I going to do about these pigeons? Like, they don't seem to be... I have this one farm. Farmer's very cool about hunting. He's got a big dairy. Um, and I just... I scouted this dairy like fucking five times last summer. And it, just like, how can I kill these pigeons? Here they are. You need to figure out where you want to set up and then take a fertilizer spreader that you don't have because your lawn sucks. And put some cracked corn in it and go <laughs> spread it out in this 30-yard circle. Yeah, yeah. That's actually a really interesting and you do that idea. once a week. I'm good. I might have to explore that because that that one farm in particular that's in my mind, like I'm like trying to. I, the reason I scouted it so many times is like, is there something I'm missing? Are they going somewhere that's going to present themselves as an opportunity to be hunted? And I'm just they just wouldn't. They just would hang out in the barns or like it's one thing to be hunted, but it's another thing to be hunted with clientele because I got to have a good open area that's safe away from the cows, you know, and they just wouldn't give, they were not ever going to a place, at least at the times that I scouted them, where I was like, here we go. This is a place I can get some clientele in to have a good hunt. Um, but that is a spot. And, uh, you've kind of inspired me. That is a spot I am going to go into next. The next time I go scout that spot, I'm going to be like, where can I bait these fuckers over yeah, to? Do better. right how much and and that would be a good experiment to find out like can i really bait pigeons why couldn't you god i part of me thinks that they you could bait geese you do that (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding off that was a joke who's the he doesn't put seed weed out in the fields who was the kansas outfitter that got raided five six years ago prairie thunder there's been a bunch of them a bunch prairie thunder are they still an outfit? Um, no. Misty Morning. Are they still an outfitter? Um, well, they got bought, and they do turkey and deer only now. Interesting. Yeah. Because those are the two species you can bait? Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the original owner, obviously, is not... He's the toe tag guy. So... The Ryan Warden guy? It's on your fingers, dude. Let me smell that. What is that? I don't know. It was on my shoe. Dude, that was the thing that was on the table. Yeah, I know. It was a little ball. It was weird. Anyway, way to fuck up the podcast. Yeah, well, we were talking about baiting. And drugs, sex, and alcohol. You know, it's one... I, I kind of feel like all waterfall laws are very simple and easy. Um... Even the even the tagging thing is pretty straightforward. No matter what that toe tag guy wants to say on different podcasts, it's pretty direct. But when you talk about hunting waterfowl in like agricultural fields, that's where it starts to get fucking weird. I feel like no, well, the weirdest part is actually the uh, the cattle issue. The cattle issue that is the biggest gray area ever. 
Yeah. And there are people hunting what I would consider baited ducks and not getting in trouble for it. And I'm talking like some big outfits mm-hmm. that are hunting rivers right next to feedlots. Sure. Why are the ducks there? Yeah. Oh, wait. They're feeding in the cow shit. Right. And it cr- Which is considered baiting. It's just like... It makes me cringe to use the word gray area when it comes to the law and waterfowl hunting. Like... Because there's a lot of people that use the word gray area, like including the toe tag, the guy, and people, other people he's on podcasts with that I've heard that are talking about very black and white fucking laws with the tagging thing. And it's like, that's not fucking gray at all. But I will, just, if you just read the laws, a lot of times they're not that fucking gray. They're pretty fucking clear and easy to understand. But the baiting thing and the agricultural field thing does get to the point where I will say it feels gray. When I read it and I, you, you just read it literally and go through it, you're like, God damn it, dude. Like I'm really trying my best to is, understand the this. The problem is as a, just a local hunter, not a guide, gray doesn't matter as much. Right. They don't really care to bust you. And you went out there, you over, shot five mallards. Who over gives me a, or you. Yeah. Right. Right. We take clients in there. They're like, Oh, look at big Kansas. Oh. Mm-hmm. Hunting baited ducks, boom, bust. Right. It's like, but Joe Schmo and his buddies can hunt it 10 times over the season. They'll never get messed with. Right. There's a target on guys' backs. And I'm not saying necessarily there shouldn't be, but the law wasn't written for commercial hunting only. The law was written written for all hunters. For all hunters, exactly. So why are we holding guides to a higher standard than everyone else. We should That's be, not what the law states. We should all be held to the same standard. Yeah. But there, some people have the attitude of guide. We've seen that. On, everybody has seen that online. I hate, I don't, I don't hate, but the whole, uh, y'all are profiting off of the, profiting off of the natural resource. Well, we're profiting off of providing people with excellent outdoor experiences and memories that'll last a lifetime and introducing a lot of new people to the sport that had a barrier for entry of buying all these fucking decoys like we were talking about earlier for trying to hunt cackling and lesser Canada geese. That's probably my favorite part. Is introducing people? Taking kids. Taking kids. Taking people who've never experienced it. Three kids in camp this week. That was good. That was great. Yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, I got a question for you. All right. Last, well, since <laughs> hunting, since being alive, okay. what's your favorite hunt? Favorite memory of a hunt? Doesn't matter what species, any species, I'm assuming we'll keep it waterfowl, you know. So I would say my, some of my best memories of a hunt are going to be my formative hunts, the ones where you, when I was a kid that made me be like, holy fuck, this is awesome. I had a hunt on Marsh Lake uh, with Paul England and his son, Matt England. And, uh, fuck you, Paul. <laughs> no, Paul's dead now, dude. Oh, he just died last year, bro. Damn. <laughs> oh, dude, you fucked up. Somebody's gonna laugh really you hard. Hurt, when you hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt's dead too. Matt died in a car accident when, like, like fifteen years oh, ago. I'm going to hell. So, oh, well, like, dude, this I'll is like this is like two thousand, 
or maybe 99 or 2000, Matt was making Matt was making his own spinning wing duck decoys, right? Because this was a brand new thing. We went out with Paul. He's making his... Paul England made duck calls. Paul's calls. Fucking legendary Minnesota duck call maker. Matt, his son, crazy about hunting. He's making his own spinning wing duck decoys, which are super fucking new at the time. We go out to Marsh Lake, Minnesota, and uh, we set up out there, and we wait for the mallards to go out and feed in the cornfields and then come back. We got like three or four of these newfangled spinning wing duck decoys going. He's running like... 12 dozen you remember the gnh swivel head magnum mallard mm-hmm. decoys just like the at that time the coolest fucking duck decoy to ever come out and we fucking crushed and i mean when those ducks came back from the cornfields they didn't stand a fucking chance that was one of my like dude dude i'm hooked the formative hunts those those are good ones and then i and then the solo uh and then the solo triumph triumphs, you know, like when you go out and you're you're like you go out and I don't solo hunt. It's not for me. Some it's not for I'm everybody. A, I'm a social human man, I enjoy it. I have done some solo upland hunts. I can't say that, but I don't know. It's a that's a whole different game. Solo hunting. It is. You're limited on the amount of energy you can use to find birds, energy to set out a spread. You know, like you ain't setting fucking huge spreads by yourself you can hide really good but dude as as many i i some of my best triumphant memories are solo hunting some of my most boring uh worst uh wish i wouldn't have done this hunt memories are also solo hunting <laughs> like god this this is the worst idea i've ever had i'm out here by myself this was a tremendous amount of work to get these decoys here Nobody to help me. And this hunt fucking sucks. And nobody's going to help me pick this up. So after this shitty hunt where I'm bored all day, I'm going to have to bust my dick to get all this you've, stuff you've back. Called, to- you've called me on some of those hunts. Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, yeah, yeah, how's it going? <laughs> Just looking at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this would be a good idea, and it wasn't. You probably should just start recording podcasts when you're out there. Probably, yep. Doing your solo <laughs> podcast. I actually didn't get a chance to solo hunt this year. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> I mean, you're you're really not hunting. You're just solo enjoying nature. <laughs> you're just solo, solo uh, getting out of the house. Man, mine is I. Mine is split between two. Let's hear and it'll probably change as as my kid gets older, right? Definitely. Share that. And hopefully your daughter wants to, you know, at least check it out. She maybe, probably maybe will. Maybe she I won't suppose. be some crazy hunter. Maybe she will. That'd be cool. But um, mine is a, we hunted this really, really tiny creek. And we found these birds. There was three days left of duck season. And uh, we found these birds, they're, they're slamming this, this creek. Uh, we took clients in the first day, um, me and Braden, and there was five clients. We did shoot our limit and abandoned Mallard, but we definitely were not in the right spot. So you, and, you find a creek, Yep. you get all in there. You kind of We, you we squeak, thought we were in the right spot from you, where we were, but sometimes when birds are going in... They're actually going in and flying down the creek. or Right, know, right. You, it was, you know, that's really hard to figure out, pinpoint where that X is on water because there's more factors than just 
this is where they're landing. They're, you got to figure out with the wind. Yeah, the wind will change How are they it. getting in these trees and blah, blah, blah. So the second morning, uh, we had two more clients with us. We go back in, pinpoint exactly where they were coming. And it was like hunting flooded timber. Yeah. Which I've never done. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it were, if anything was like it, that had to be like it because these ducks were just dropping vertically. Uh-huh. Smash another limit. And these were really good clients of mine. You know them. One of them's Butch. Oh, yeah. It was that group of guys. A couple different guys that you didn't know. But we were hunting them in the morning, and it was actually a true – it was actually more of a stage. So they were hitting it in the afternoon and going to feed right after. Mm-hmm. And so we, because we were hunting in the morning, we weren't seeing, you know, the thousands of ducks. We were seeing a few hundred and getting enough birds to come in to finish this limit. And we tried to go three days in a row with them. They're like, oh, we want a little change of scenery. Let's go goose hunting or something. So we're like, all right. And that was a year that there was not a good hatch in the lesser goose hunting. Cackling goose hunting was very, very tough. That happens sometimes. We were doing like, you know, one to two duck hunts or probably two duck hunts per group. And then we were doing a goose hunt with each group just to kind of save our ducks. We were very fortunate to have a bunch of ducks because if not, it would have been a rough season. And they didn't want to go. So they went goose hunting and it was the last day of duck season. So we watched the ducks in the morning and we were like, fuck it. Let's go fun hunt it. Mm -hmm. So it was me, my wife and two other guys, Braden and Jake. Um, and we just basically, we didn't even take a blind. We just sat by trees and shot singles and pairs of ducks and and, into some groups as they just dropped through the trees, through the trees. And those guys all take pictures. My wife takes pictures. When it was my turn to shoot, you just hear (laughs) shutters clucking as these, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Mallards are dropping in the hole. I've got Otis and, uh, that was just a cool hunt. The other one was probably was with my wife again. It was one of her first hunts ever in Canada. Oh yeah, and we, we uh, real close to shooting a double in the snow um, in Saskatchewan. I think it was the very first season ever that I guided up there. You know, so we weren't just slammed full with clients. Yeah, and, the lodge was uh, chill. Yeah, a buddy of mine flew up with my wife because she'd never traveled, you know, by herself before and. That was just a fun, you know, experience with Otis again, the legend. So, and, uh, yeah. Just a double, a double in a snow, a Saskatchewan yep. barley field, huh? Yep. Or pea field. Yep. With the wife. No, it was a barley field. It was actually a swath field, but uh, we edge hit it because it was a great edge. And they were actually being, they were all landing on this one side of the field anyway. Yeah. So it was perfect. A-frames. You know, the snow wasn't even forecasted. It started snowing, and that, I don't know. Some people hate it, but when it's actively snowing and you're hunting, I, it's just cool. It is. Experience. I hate it, and I love it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? I, I honestly. It's one of those deals you either need a lot of it or none. Right. You need enough to hide or none. Right. When it gets, yeah, when it gets like yeah. that quarter inch like we had this morning. Or you need to start snowing during your hunt, not before. During. During the hunt, yep. so that everything looks natural on your hide. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, well, hey, we've been going plenty long, 41 minutes. Ben Webster, thank you very much for being with us. Um, 
Guys, if you want a destination dream hunt, Ben's the guy to talk to. He runs Big Kansas Outdoors in central Kansas. We're talking small Canada cackling geese, trophy specs, snow goose hunts, spring conservation snow goose hunts, incredible duck hunting on a very, very consistent basis from November through March, damn near. So Ben can help you out there. Also, Prairie Limits Outfitters in Saskatchewan, kind of the ultimate experience. One thing about Prairie Limits Outfitters in Saskatchewan, your package price is a three-day hunt. That's five hunts in three days. You go out morning, afternoon on both on your first and second day and morning on your third day. A lot of Saskatchewan outfits only do three hunts in their package, three days, three hunts. PLO does five hunts, and we smash them up there. Um, worked up there for 22 and 23, so it was a super cool experience. Check out the Nietzsche Bo- Bro- Bros podcast on Patreon. It, they do a giveaway every single month. Um, some giveaways are like in, like incredibly intense, like where you're giving away a ton of shit. Sometimes it's a spinner. Sometimes it's a Nick J Signature Series uh, yep. goose call. And ne- sometimes you're giving away like fucking 10 things. Yep. Next month we're giving away a dozen uh, Dakota Extreme Floating Mallards. I think the month after that we're going to give away four Cabela's gift cards. Um, really appreciate if you guys check it out. It's the podcasts are up and down. Some of them can be a little unorthodox where we're, you know, laughing, drinking, having a good time. Who knows what the hell we're going to talk about. And then other of, other of the podcasts can be really in-depth about waterfowl hunting or trapping or deer hunting. You know, it, we're kind of all over the place. So any support is really appreciated. And also, obviously, you know, we're big fans of the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. And we appreciate you guys having us on. All right, dude. Well, thank you very much. Go Chiefs. <laughs>